Hello, welcome to today's episode of Using the Numbers, your statistics and sports podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Joshua Tracy. I'm going to respond if you, if you were to do that again, but I am Corwin Heller. It actually wasn't that bad. It was pretty cool. I just, once again, I got lost right at the start of the show, like always. Yeah, as we pull up all these tabs that we probably should have had up before we hit the record button, but oh well. Uh, today is the last we, day. We've literally been sitting here for 41 minutes on the show, like in the Zoom call together, just catching up on our lives. We would have had so much time to pull up these pages. We have absolutely zero excuses whatsoever. And here we are. We're not quick, folks. <laughs> We're not quick. Um, but anyway, um, today is our last day of NFL draft recap shit. We've been taking our time with it to make sure we get a full broad picture of what is going on with the divisions in the post-draft world. So today we'll be doing the two Western divisions to round that out. Um, some, obviously there's a lot of stuff that happens every day that we just haven't gotten the chance to talk about and probably won't talk about because it won't be timely anymore. But one thing that is timely that is certainly worth mentioning is that Albert Pujols has been released by the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. And since then, uh, as of just yesterday, um, he cleared waivers and was signed by the Los Angeles Dodgers and is now going to likely finish his career with the Dodgers. Um, A lot of feelings here. There are a lot of feelings here. As a Padres fan, fuck, Albert Pujols is now in the division. Uh, At the same time, it's not the Albert Pujols that would typically carry that kind of, should I say, fear. Um, you know, I, I don't know where exactly he would even fit into this lineup or if he, you know, is ever going to see much playing time. You know, Max Muncy is having a weird year where he's actually not hitting the ball all too well. He just happens to have a, a stupid high on base percentage and is still performing well as a first baseman. They don't have a designated hitter. Uh, I don't know where else you could even feasibly play Albert Pujols at this point in his career. I I don't think you would ever allow him to touch the outfield. Third base is never going to be an option. It's really just first base and DH. And Yeah, but even then, why would he choose to go to the Dodgers if he's not getting consistent playing time when that seemed to be a pretty big reason for him to want to leave the Angels or at least be content with leaving the Angels? Well... Um, I'd, possibly I'd, World Series implications, but even then, it's, I don't know. Yeah, I, I would imagine it's a very weird conversation around, or it must have been a very weird conversation uh, in regards to Albert Pujols leaving the Angels because the Angels are still bad. Um, actually, let's see where they stand in the standings today. As we're recording this, it is um, Sunday, May 16th, sure as Josh had to think about of- what fucking day it was the worst records in the yeah they do as it stands right now they are 16 and 22 uh six and a half games back from their division um and their record is only better than the colorado rockies which is not saying much the washington nationals 
the Minnesota Twins and the Detroit Tigers. So certainly the bottom feeders of the bunch, along with the Twins, which is a whole separate story that I'm sure we can get into at a later date. Um, wow, the Nationals are so bad. I never realized. Yeah, Holy they are. Shit. They are not doing well at all. Um, but anyway, it's um. So so they are bad. This is the final year of Albert Pujols' contract, and you could, you know, it's tempting to say, like, why, if you're going to do this, why haven't you done this ye- literally, like, two to four years ago? And why why now are you going to do this? And I, I guess the idea is that, you know, we'll bring up some talent, and it's a way for them to clear up a roster spot that can go to another pitcher, another bench guy, somebody young loosely maybe a loose attempt at actively trying more i guess um and if you're pool holes i don't know like i don't know how they how you approach that conversation with him and i think that might that's part of the reason why he must have left as well in addition to just being about the play time because that is also I if I was Albert Pujols I'd be I'd be insulted because if I'm Albert Pujols it's like the GM of the Angels whoever it is now because they just fired their recent GM um, they're coming up to him and basically saying Albert we don't want you playing much anymore and we need to replace your platoon splits in the uh, in the lineup and probably most of your pinch hit appearances. But if you want to stay around in that role, you can. And that's, again, last year of the contract, he's probably not staying after this anyway. You know, like it's, it's, we're, we're likely done here. Um, I'd probably be like a little bit like fucking serious now, now my last year, you're going to do this to me. Ostensibly my farewell tour. You're going to do this to me. So from his respect, leaving, I get it. And weirdly enough, going to a National League team, I think, makes a lot of sense. I think there's a bell curve in age for which league you're in. Because a lot of, like, older players like to be in the American League when they hit the top of that bell curve. Because you can DH. That's great. Don't got to be in the field. Don't got to do all that running around young man's shit. You got to sit on the pine. And then once every two or three innings, you go swing the bat a couple of times, do your jogs. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to the pine. Easy that's going. Life. Yeah. It is. But the regions when you're point- playing 162 games, that's kind of as much as I'd love to field and do stuff. I, I get that there's definitely times where you kind of just want to be like, all right, I just want to go hit. I don't want to have to fucking run around the outfield or, you know, deal with the like focus of playing first base, stuff like that. So right, or it's like my quad hurts, but like not enough for me to not swing a bat, just enough for me right. to like not want to run too much. Mm-hmm. But anyway, eventually somewhere on that age bell curve, when you start to get a little worse, the process of going back to the national league can actually be a little bit appealing because in, because of what basically what's happening to Albert Pujols, you're not going to be looked at as a viable DH option anymore because you've gotten too slow. Your contact ability has gotten worse because your bat's slower, whatever.
but that presents the opportunity. <laughs> you're too slow to be a DH. That presents the opportunity for you to pinch hit because in the National League, you constantly have to be churning through these pinch hit scenarios because you need to avoid the pitcher spot coming up in big spots. And that's basically what Ichiro Suzuki did. And it's what we're seeing Albert Pujols do here as well, because instead of having to the Dodgers having to worry about playing him, you know, giving him three and a half at bats per game for the remaining 120. Wait, where are we in the season? Yeah, 120 uh, games. games. Um, instead, you can be giving worry about giving him one to one and a half plate appearances over the course of the next 140 games, 120 games, which you will take more of because the marginal value of playing Albert Pujols over whoever you're at this point with how injured the Dodgers are fourth to sixth bench guy is probably actually pretty good. So, and it's not like Jared Walsh in front of him has been electric this year. Like they have yes. a guy to play first base who is a guy that needs to be playing every single day. And, you have, you know, the star-studded hitters to rotate through that DH spot. You know, Anthony Rendon's been hurt. You don't want him at third base every day while he's coming back from these injuries, things like that. So I, I totally understand why the Angels would want to move on. Thank you for explaining the reasoning behind moving the NL. That does make a ton of sense. Um, and on the Ichiro, uh, you know, on the subject of Ichiro, where was he before he finished it out with the Mariners? That was the NL. Because I know he was Marlins. with the Yankees when he was a little bit older. The Marlins. Okay. Yeah. All right. How long was he there? Do you remember? Oh, um, three seasons, I want to say. So like 10% of his career. Four, four seasons. His age, 41. Uh, oh, no, sorry. I was no, right. Three. three seasons. Yeah, it is three. 41 to 43. Yeah. Yankees. So yeah, I was right about the Yankees being there. Oh, cool. I had a pretty good grasp on what each row was doing. Man, I can't believe Seattle traded him to the Yankees like the year that he finally slowed down, which is crazy to me. Good on them for finding some good value. Fuck the Yankees. Well, uh, also, I think each row asked to be traded. (laughs) Okay, yeah. If I I recall that correctly... Ichiro was like, y- y'all fucking suck. I I gotta go. Man, um, what a crazy start to his career in MLB. Yeah. It's such a wild list of just like that nine-year run, 10-year run, 2001 to 2010. Fucking unreal. But let's, I just want to loop us back to Albert Pujols a little bit because he is also an interesting signing in general because he, he still has the ability to make good contact with the ball as it stands for his 2021 MLB percentile rankings that you can see on baseball savant. Um, he's 70th percentile for average exit velocity, which is good. He's 90th percentile for maximum exit velocity, which is phenomenal An 81 percentile expected slugging, which is great. 89% expected uh, 89% strikeout percent, which is phenomenal. Um, barrel ball percents at 50 in the 57th percentile whiffs is in the 63rd percentile. Those are fine. Um, his ex Woba in the 61st percentile, all, all of which is, is is respectable. His walk rate is insanely low this season. The fifth percentile, it's so bad. Um, but he makes really good contact, which is what you would expect to get out of Albert Pujols. And 
he doesn't strike out a lot, which I'm not sure if that matters too much considering he's a ground into double play machine. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, that means that he might be able to, I, I haven't really dug into it too far, but it, you know, it might be an element of working good at bats and being able to get good contact in what might be important moments and hoping or banking on some of the double plays and just BABIP fun that Albert Pujols has been having could be chalked up to good defense and bad luck and not necessarily Albert Pujols's, uh, it feels crazy to say true talent at the age of uh, 41, but his, his actual ability at this point in his career, which apparently is still, I'm going to go up there and fucking destroy a baseball uh, and just hope it's not in the ground. Um, and honestly, I think the fact that his just looking, you know what his BABIP is for 2021 so far? No. 176. Wow. That is so bad. Like, he That's has really to low. be getting unlucky. Right. And the fact that he's got a 198 batting average with a, one, what was it, 178? 176. 176. Wow, not even close. Um, is he's, he's getting very, very unlucky. He should be batting fairly higher than that. Do you know what his Sierra is? Or is that a pitching? That's a pitching stat. Jesus Christ, Corbin. That's um, we've yeah, all if, been there. Yeah. Oh, please. All of us have. Because mm. with how hard he's hitting the ball um, and his his um, exit velocity is actually up this season by a non-insignificant margin. And with his BABIP so low, it's tough to look at it and say that he definitely shouldn't be doing. I mean, like his ex WOBA is up 50 points from last season. His ex Wobacon is up 60 points from last season. Hard hit rate is up seven percentage points from last season. K rates down. Um, his walk percents down too, but we're not going to talk about that. Like point being, there are interesting reasons to still sign Albert Pujols. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be super weird seeing him in Dodgers blue and really just weird to see that Dodgers team kind of exist. Yeah. Um, it feels like they've jumped the shark. I am fucking. I, it's just kind of popped into my head as a possibility. And it's already something I can acknowledge is going to keep me up at night and give me nightmares this postseason when we get to October. The idea of a how old is Albert Pujols now? 41. 41 year old Albert Pujols just game seven of the NLDS, NLCS, I don't fucking care, just pinch hitting and knocking the Padres out of the postseason. Just 41-year-old Albert Pujols pinch hitting, walking up there in Dodgers blue or Dodgers white, wherever, whatever it's going to be, and just fucking slaughtering the Padres. Yikes. Now, it would be really funny if somehow the Rangers managed to finagle their way into the World Series. And then Albert Pujols fucked him again <laughs> as a goodbye gift. Oh man, would oh, I think the Yankees? I think the Dodgers should go out and sign to, David Freeze now. I think they should sign David Freeze, and I think that the Rangers, if they were to get that far, should make a trade with the Yankees at the deadline to get back Rufnet Odor so that he can bookend his career with a Jose Bautista and Albert Pujols knockout combo. No, Albert Pujols would own that short man 
what what the what the Rangers should do is they should make a trade with the Twins to get Nelson Cruz back. Mm. God, what? And then let's just stick move everything left. around and just make like a 2013 All Star team. Let's recreate the 2011 teams, but in different locations. God, Albert Pujols on the Cardinals when they won that World Series in like 2010. What year? I did believe they that win was it? 2011. Actually, uh, 2011 was like the first team that I can remember winning the world. Like that was the first year I remember acknowledging that the world series was a thing that happened because like my best friend at the time had a Cardinals world series sweatshirt that just looks, it was like one of those nice fleece sweatshirts that majestic used to make. And oh, it was a great sweatshirt. And I was just like, damn, that's a nice sweatshirt. I should be a Cardinals fan. And then like four years went by and I was like, yo, fuck the Cardinals. They're the worst team in the world. Go pirates. Albert Pujols's career postseason OPS is a cool 1030 1030 however you want to call it damn damn that's serious numbers um but anyway yeah it would have been it would have been nice to see him back in with the Cardinals for you know these few waning months of his career Mm -hmm. it's tough because i think baseball is inherently a sentimental sport um while also reminding you constantly to not be sentimental about it um because it doesn't wait for you and it doesn't want it doesn't care no no one people i'm sure in st louis as fans and i think i'm sure there's some people in the st louis front office who may have still been there when albert pujols left um or who may even just know Albert Pujols from times he's come back to St. Louis because he's made a couple appearances there since he's been with the Angels. Would have loved to have him back, but at the same time, it, it's got to be within certain parameters. And I guess the Dodgers were willing, more willing to present a situation for Albert Pujols to get maybe more of a playing time or maybe more of a chance to go out with a ring than the Cardinals were able to offer. Um I hate the fact he's there so much. I do love the fact he's still playing because I love old man baseball. Um, mm. I, I, I hope, I hope the Dodgers sign R.A. Dickey next. Like, let's just fucking go for it, man. Um, but it's, um, man, it's fucking. We- like, if you told me that a big money player from the Angels was going to the Dodgers by the end of the season. I'm not sure I would have guessed Pujols. No. I probably no. would have guessed Upton. Pujols um, is just, it's just so, because, you know, Trout's not going anywhere and Rendon's contract is too new. I probably would have said Upton because that Dodgers outfield is really good, but I mean, they have a lot of hurt players. So I could, I could see it, but. And that's like, like why the Pujols? only conceivable upgrade, like, AJ Pollock is like the only player on the Dodgers right now that's even in the conversation of like, oh, there's a, a readily, readily available upgrade that you could probably get for him with him. I mean, third base, you're not going to upgrade, you know, the ginger beard. You're not going to upgrade Corey Seager. You're not going to upgrade, you know, Gavin Lux. You're not going to upgrade Max Muncy. Like, Although Corey Seager is now hurt. Yeah, which is wild. Hey, now they can just trade for Trevor Story and just be the fucking worst team in the goddamn world. Oh my god. 
Um, I would hate that I, so I, much. I really, I really hate that Albert Pujols is just kind of like following around all the big rivals for Corwin Heller in baseball. Cardinals for so long, even though he kind of left by the time I got into baseball, which whatever, it's fine. But now he's on the Dodgers. Uh, I'm just, I've been spending this whole time while you've been talking, looking over that 2011 Cardinals team. And it's got some wild appearances. 24-year-old Lance Lynn is a re- relief pitcher. For oh, them. my God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Their number five starting pitcher was Edwin Jackson, who I'm surprised was 27 at that point. Well, yeah, um, that he feels it feels like he should have been way younger. Wow, that's crazy. Matt Carpenter was a rookie that played seven games for them. It's it's a wild, wild lineup. Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols, Skip Shoemaker, Ryan Thero, David Fries, Matt Holiday, Colby Rasmus, which is a name I've not heard in a long time, and it's a 35-year-old Holiday, Lance Berkman. Damn. Any, all right, John anyway. Jay, Daniel Descalso. Sorry. Um, let's, let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shout outs to you, Albert Pujols. You go get those home runs. Um, you're One not final gonna thought. Get... I go wish he retired before this year because he would have had 100 war or 99.9. And I don't remember where the cutoff was, but I hate that he has negative 0.4 war this year and a 99.6 career war now. It's he has been waffling so back awful. and forth between 100 and 99 for a couple seasons now. And it is... Uh, a little sad because you want him to be in that very exclusive hundred war club and mm-hmm. he probably won't be, but that's going to be okay. hard. It's going to be hard to get 0.4 war, 0.5 war, whatever he needs as a pinch hitter, even if it is the Dodgers. Yeah. But Hey, I really, the only thing that needs to happen for me is that upper pools gets, um, 23 more or 30 33 more home runs all this season all this year 33 sure yeah i don't know gotta crack 700 man fuck a rod i I really want that to happen i hope he gets two hits the rest of the season that'd be nice but i don't think 33 home runs is gonna happen a man can dream all right well anyway let's take it over to the draft now that we've talked about baseball for long enough in a non-baseball episode Let's start again going, starting with the AFC version. So we're going to start in the AFC West and we're going to go by last season's divisional standing. So we're starting with the Kansas City Chiefs. All right. And in 2021 draft, the Kansas City Chiefs took linebacker Nick Bolton, center Creed Humphrey, defensive end Josh Kando, tight end Noah Gray, wide receiver Cornell Powell, and guard Trey Smith. Corwin, what name did I pronounce wrong? Joshua Kindo. Kindo. All right. Uh, tell me about this draft. Uh, you know, this is a mixed bag for me. And, you know, I think Nick Bolton at pick 58 is uh, a pretty good fit for that defense. Obviously not their biggest need uh, at offensive line, which we know, but they got Creed Humphrey, which is uh, an absolute steal at 63 was a guy who, you know, probably could have gone early on in the second if a team there you know if the board in the first round you know was a little more offensive line heavy things just 
tilted towards offensive line a little more this year. I think he easily could have gone, you know, in the first 10 or so picks in the second round talent wise. Um, so great value for them there. That was kind of their last keystone piece for the keystone on their offensive line um, to really complete that revamped overhaul that um, we've seen this off season after just an abysmal showing in the Super Bowl. So it's good to see them get that early two early impact players uh, in the second round after trading back. Um, Joshua Kindo is a guy that I know of personally because he was a, a prospect out of high school for Penn State. Uh, I think he's from Upper Upper Marlboro, Maryland, uh, Mount Carmel, Maryland, whatever. That's fine. Um, regardless, I think he's going to need some refinement, but he could be one of those re- uh, rotational, you know, DNs, edge rushers for them. And really just the rest of this class just doesn't do much for me. I mean, it's all those players who are just going to be rotating in and out. Trey Smith will be some deep, some depth on that offensive line. Cornell Powell is going to be depth, you know, number five, number six wide receiver for them. Noah Gray is going to be their number four or five tight end. I doubt they're going to have five tens, but whatever, you know what I mean? So it's the chiefs. They needed help on the offensive line. That's really the only big thing they needed. They were able to do that in free agency. They bolstered it in the draft. This doesn't move the needle much because there's not much movement for the needle to move. But if anything, it just kind of put it right back up. I still think the Chiefs are the best team in uh, in football. Yeah, I mean, again, we talked. I forget what team we talked about this with. I think it was the Buccaneers. Yeah, yeah. yeah which is when you're when you're this good, you're drafting for depth, um, and you see that very much so here you you draft linebackers because your linebackers are really going to be some of the most flexible and important parts of your defense they took an offensive lineman Creed Humphrey defensive end tight like they're they're really just stacking positions that have high value that you like literally just can't get enough of um Mm -hmm. and it makes so much sense of course that's what they're gonna do um they're really fucking good yeah, it is what it is. Um, so there you go. Them's the Chiefs. Now, Corwin, without looking, what team okay. finished second in this division last year? Uh, the Chargers. No. You would think, right? The Las Vegas Raiders yeah. finished second in this division. I pulled all these up and was like going through deciding which of these I wanted where because of, you know, I wanted to put them in order of the standings. And I was like, oh, Chargers, clear number two, like played great. And then it's like, oh, shit, like their, like their defense sucked. Like that lost, they lost a ton of close games. They definitely didn't finish second. And somehow the fucking Raiders did. And that blows my mind because they feel like they've been irrelevant for the past couple of seasons. And believe me, they haven't really done much to change that kind of opinion. They're, draft since Mike Mayock took over their draft classes have been really bad and they've been just absolutely oh what's the politically correct term made fun of for how ridiculed ridiculed. yeah I'll use ridiculed I feel like that fits it better because they have just been saying fuck you to kind of the consensus value and just been overdrafting every major player in like the first, second rounds. And listen, if you got a guy that you think is there and, you know, is going to be your guy, you fully believe fits your system, 
you believe in them when no guy, no other teams really do. Hey, that's fantastic. That's how you find these diamonds in the rough. But you have to understand if nobody else really wants them and there's really no, no, you know, smoke or fire even to kind of promote the idea that another team would even want them trade back, wait to take them. You know, it happened last year with Clellan Farrell where they wanted him. He was their guy. Nobody else did. They knew they were overdrafting him at, I think it was four. They took him, and they just, they didn't trade back and they just took him there instead of trying to move back. Or I'm sure they were trying, but couldn't move back. And we're looking and laughing because it's like Clellan Farrell is definitely not the fourth best player to come out of last year's draft or even two years ago. Who fucking knows anymore? And yet they, they stuck with him. And I, happened again this year with Alex Leatherwood where the 17th overall pick is a valuable pick to have and Alex Leatherwood was not getting mocked in the first round you know sure he's one of those guys that if you really like the you know the stability if you really like the idea that you're you know what you're getting you know you're not getting a you know super athletic high ceiling kind of guy that just has a lot of raw talent you need to refine you're going to get a, a lower ceiling but really high floor really you know consistent uh offensive lineman in alex leatherwood that's great but that's not a 17th overall pick right and... now hold on. before you keep going let, let me let me list all the picks out because oh, we, we, yeah. we started shit talking the raiders and then that just yeah. transitioned right into yeah. their draft <laughs> god they are so easy to make fun of um god. So offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood, as Corbin was just talking about. They also took safety Trayvon Merrig, Morig, Morig um, defensive end Malcolm Morig. Kuntz, linebacker Divine Diablo. That's a killer name. Um, safety Tyree Gillespie, cornerback Nate Hobbs, and center Jimmy Morrissey. Um, ah, God, it. They're in a, such a. They've been in such a tough spot because of. The Chiefs, and that feels like the point in time which they went from because there was a, there was a, a small gap between the Chargers and the Chiefs, where the Raiders really looked like they could have a handle on the division for a few seasons, because Derek Carr was coming up, and they had just taken like Amari Cooper, and it looked like you know, hey, there might be a core here, and then Carr got injured, the Chiefs got good, and then like nothing ever clicked for them again. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't see, I mean, obviously this draft isn't going to make anything click. It really comes down to the fact that they have, they hired Mike Mayock and um, John Gruden, because why wouldn't an insane person hire TV personalities to run their team? Um, I understand they have previous football experience. They've been out of the game for a little bit, Um, but uh, man, it's, there's no, there's no cures here. I'll tell you that. No. And man, I, I like, Trayvon Merrick I like Alex Leatherwood in the second round and I like Malcolm Koontz in like the fourth round um Trayvon Merrick I probably would say is the the only guy here who would be taken around where you would want him to get taken um he was the kind of guy who was early on in the process the number one safety had that late first round discussion just kind of fell a little bit because of you know athleticism and things like that this isn't really you know the uh the al davis kind of drafts where it was all athleticism it was all potential and we're gonna mold these young men into raiders they're raiders material they it's just 
it's not the promising draft classes you would hope from Mike Mayock of all people, you know, one of the most well-respected and, and well-established draft analysts, you know, for the NFL network in the media, you know, not working for NFL teams. And you would kind of expect uh, a pretty similar result from the Raiders actual draft classes as what you would get from um, you know, a mock draft, the kind of consensus, things like that. But at the end of the day, it's just been an ugly showing. And I think this is really going to put a lot of question marks on, you know, Mike Mayock's future. I know he has a long contract. John Gruden has a contract that will outlive us all. This is just not a class that I think makes the Raiders significantly better or really moves the needle as far as their ability to perform in the AFC West. I mean, with how good some of these teams are, with how good the other three teams are in this division, I kind of am pegging the Raiders to be a clear number three, you know, worst team in this division. And I think it's going to be a pretty, pretty sizable chunk. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't even know what to say about it anymore. I mean, I mean, really, let it's gonna it's gonna come down to their coaching at some point. It doesn't matter who they pick. Um, their quarterback play isn't gonna put them over the edge, and their coaching has to actually step up and do something creative and interesting. I mean, they got to an eight and eight season last year. I guess this draft yeah. technically makes them better because every draft does. Um, fuck, man, I don't give a shit. Let's talk about the Chargers. Uh, <laughs> Fuck it, dude. Let's go bowling. Uh, the Chargers took offensive tackle Rashawn Slater, cornerback Asante Samuel Jr., wide receiver Josh Palmer, tight end Trey McKitty. Wow. McKitty. Uh, mm-hmm. um, defensive end Chris Rumpf to the second. Offensive guard Brendan James, linebacker Nick Neiman, running back Larry Roundtree the third, and safety Mark Webb. Uh, all right. So a lot of offense here. Yeah. A lot of offense, which, Hey, now's the time to do that. You have yourself, you know, Justin Herbert rookie of the year, fantastic season. We know we talked about wanting to protect him this whole off season. We talked about wanting to do that last season. You know, if you're going to take a quarterback in round one, finish out the rest of the draft, get him some weapons, get him some protection, protect him, let him grow in a in a positive environment and he has the weapons on that team already he's got austin eckler he's got uh mike fuck williams and jesus christ keenan allen thank you wow that that almost got ugly uh they don't have hunter henry they replace him with trey mckitty in the third that doesn't really do much for me i don't think that's going to be any kind of impact for them um josh palmer could be their number three wide receiver this year. You kind of expect him to, but that doesn't do much for me outside of that. That's, you know, the rest of these are all depth pieces, but Asante Samuel Jr. in the second and Rashawn Slater in the first, I think are two excellent picks. Rashawn Slater at 13, I think is good value. Um, I think that's, you know, I had them selecting Christian Darisaw in my mock draft. He went all the way around or at pick 21. I had Rashawn Slater as a top 10 pick. So I think that's some really good value. I think Slater is kind of a, a close number two to Penai Sewell um, and is definitely a guy who had that kind of rumor mill churning about whether some teams viewed him as the number one offensive tackle in this class over Penai Sewell because of that 
tenacity because of the fact that he was the only player in the nation over, you know, three years to ever be able to stop Chase Young. You know, a lot of guys weren't able to do a thing. A handful of guys were able to slow him down. Rashawn Slater is the only guy who actually was able to stop Chase Young. Um, granted, they're not going to be playing in that division, not even in the same conference, but at the same time, when you can completely eliminate that caliber of player at college. I mean, Chase Young was probably the most complete edge rusher prospect we saw since, I don't know, Von Miller. Miles Garrett would be a better uh, example. But, hey, I think he's going to be a tremendous pro. I think Asante Samuel is going to be a tremendous pro. Um, Son of, believe it or not, Asante Samuel. Kind of big news. Who Who is Asante Samuel Sr.? Uh, Asante Samuel Sr. I don't know if he was a Hall of Famer, but he's a four-time Pro Bowler, one-time All-Pro, two-time Super Bowl champ, uh, played in New England and Philadelphia, actually ended his career in Atlanta as well. But, uh, you know, one of those guys who's a pro's pro just was in the league for, you know, uh, 11 years as a cornerback, put up some really great numbers, consistent throughout his entire career, just was one of those guys who was – one of the top dogs as far as, you know, cornerbacks go. Um, and then obviously his son uh, in that mold. Gotcha. So, good draft for the, the Chargers. I think they do a lot to really improve their team, build upon the team that they have there. Um, so very promising does look, I mean, Hey, the Chargers future has been looking up now for the past couple of years. This is just continuous continuing on with that. So does this, does this move, uh, the needle for you. They only finished one game back of the Raiders. Obviously, the division really isn't in play here unless something catastrophic happens to the Chiefs. Um, but does this it's, move the needle? Something catastrophic happens to Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but does this move the needle for you, for them, within the standings here? Uh, I think they're a clear number two. I think this is one of those divisions where it has three competitive teams, but even then, one, two, and three is very clear and set in stone. Um you know, obviously, I don't think they're going to be competing with the uh, Chiefs all that much. Uh, but like we saw last year, we saw the past couple of years, the Chiefs or the Chargers, I should say, with their defense and the players that they have on that defense, the way they run that defense, they know the formula to stopping the Chiefs, to holding them down or to holding them back, to keeping them, you know, keeping themselves in the game. So you never know something crazy can happen with, you know, the in division rivalry the way those are set up but at the end of the day i think they're a clear number two yeah i i agree and this draft really just solidifies it um because i i you know obviously you'd hope for progress out of your second year um you know your your rookies quarterbacks second season in the bigs and wow that was a weird sentence for me to get out um, but this also like offers this draft offers a lot of the assurances that you want to have with a second year quarterback started off in the draft offensive tackle. You got him weapons. You got uh, a wide receiver, a tight end and a running back in this draft and another offensive lineman later on. In addition to shoring up some defensive positions, especially one of the more important defensive positions being cornerback early on. Uh, it's really just a really great draft for what the chargers need. In addition to what the, resources every second year rookie second year quarterback needs in the league to succeed mm-hmm. so great draft i just want uh, to say before we move on from the chargers again i'm very sorry for doubting justin herbert and his mental game i would just like to say i think that's 
projecting a little bit of myself, played golf this weekend. I'm a mental midget. Believe me. It just, I was so far up my own ass and inside my own head. I can't be one to talk about other guys, mental process, how they're able to handle things. Cause clearly I cannot. So Justin Herbert, I'm sorry, but fuck them. Anyway, let's talk about the Broncos. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the, um, wow. Have they been irrelevant since Peyton Manning retired Denver Broncos? Um, and that year really know how that to drive home. retired is um, it gets farther and farther away. Isn't it funny how that happens? I mean, what was the um, last time the Broncos won a, a playoff game? Was that? Oh, right. Tim Tebow over the middle. Demarius Thomas, 88 yards touchdown against the Steelers in the wild card game in overtime and pass. <laughs> oh God. Just, I've said this before in the podcast, the biggest sports nightmare I've ever seen. And just the one that relives in my mind and, is probably something I should speak to a therapist about is watching that fucking Tim Tebow, just 15 second wind up as he unleashes that ball down to Demarius Thomas and just ruining my night and just ruining my young fans life. And that's how I felt in 2001 watching the uh, Yankees lose the world series to the diamondbacks. But I was four years old. Yeah, well, fuck your childhood. Uh, <laughs> Quote the great Michael Jordan. Fuck, fuck them, them kids. kids. <laughs> uh, all right. So anyway, uh, the Denver Broncos draft, they took cornerback Patrick Sertain, running back Javante Williams, guard Quinn Miners, linebacker Baron Browning, safety Caden Stearns, safety Jamar Johnson, wide receiver Seth Williams, cornerback Kerry Vincent Jr., defensive end Jonathan Cooper, and defensive end Marquise Spencer. Um, Corbin, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first non-John Elway draft in a number of years, right? I believe they had a different GM doing this. Yes, so John Elway is staying in his front office position but was handing over the um i don't want to i don't recall off the top of my head whether it was all player personnel decisions or just the draft selection process to the director of player personnel whoever george Patton. george Patton. um but yes this was john elway's first draft as gm without that um hands-on approach because he's been real bad at it and boy, this is one of my favorite draft classes. This is an unreal draft for them. Obviously, you would, you and I both have talked about, you know, Justin Fields was available at nine when they picked Patrick Sertan uh, out of Alabama. Drew Locke is not really shown to be the guy. They've had such a struggle finding the guy. We both thought Justin Fields could be that guy. Um, but they went with cornerback, probably their biggest need overall. And they get a guy who's you know going to come in and be a, a Patrick Peterson type player for them. So the sky is the limit for Patrick Sertan, probably the um, most pro ready, the most refined, the most, I would say confident, you know, JC Horn has this crazy potential, crazy, you know, attitude, physicality, but there's a really solid chance he can't play because he just can't stop drawing penalties. Caleb Farley, you know, has that athleticism, has that raw talent, hasn't played the position very long, has those injuries. There are so many question marks there. And Patrick Sertan, at the end of the day, he, you know, he might not have the same 
uber high potential of of either one of those guys but at the end of the day he's going to be a, a you know patrick peterson type player he's going to have this um you know amazing technique that you get at alabama which there seems to be one every year um and has that really 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 high floor that you can count on and at a position so valuable like defensive back for a team that is severely lacking in that department a very understandable pick for them to take uh javonta williams at uh, 35, I think was a little early for him, but at the end of the day, we talked about this earlier with, you know, the Steelers, um, with how shallow this running back class is. He was kind of the third head on that three headed monster coming into this. Um, one of those, you know, pass catching, you know, three down backs, Alvin Kamara type mold. Um, I think he'll come in and be very, very good, but taking him at 35 when you have a guy like Melvin Gordon on the roster, when you have, you know, these other running backs there that could get the job done, especially since they're not quite ready to compete either in this division or in the wild card. I don't know if running back was necessarily the most important position to get there, but they made up for it at three. Well, before I move on, I should say, I still really like Williams as a player. I think he's going to have an excellent career as a pro again, just that running back value at 35. Uh, Quinn Miners is, you know, my darling of this draft class. He's the guy that like I wanted to put my stamp on. It's the my dude, dude. You know, I wanted the Steelers to take him in the second. I wanted the Steelers to take him in the third. They went a different direction because they had different plans. This is a guy that came out of, you know, an FCF school, you know, Wisconsin Whitewater. Um, absolutely dominated at the senior bowl. Did not play in the 2020 season. They did not have a, a football season at Wisconsin Whitewater. So we spent all uh, that season off basically training, learning technique, learning hit, you know, how to play as a pro and just came into the senior bowl and just dominated everyone he lined up against and just looked the part of, you know, a future hall of fame center or guard. And listen, there's so much risk there for a guy that never played against that level of competition who's filmed the last time he played was very inconsistent, but he looks like he has the potential. Everything looks the part. He looks like he's ready to step up and, and play some big time football, possibly not, you know, starting day one, but next year should be a, a cornerstone piece and sky's the limit for him. Love the pick. And then, you, you know, you have a guy like Baron Browning don't know much about, but I can't say much against, you know, Caden Stearns is a guy that I liked in this process early on. Um, is probably more safety than cornerback. Um, but at the end of the day, I think he's got that physicality. He's uh, pretty versatile there. Same with Jamar Johnson. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential in this class and a very deep class for them to go and do a lot of things. And we could be looking back and saying, wow, they got six guys out of this draft that you know, became pro bowlers, became uh, impact players that you know, are starting for them five, six, seven years down the road. And this is out of all the classes we've looked at in this division. I think they clearly have the best. Oh, damn. Just the most complete start to finish. That's some, that's some strong praise, my friend. Yeah. I really enjoyed a non John Elway draft. Yeah. It, it's funny what, uh, what that, what that can do for you. Um, not just getting complete and total control of your entire franchise to a guy who played really well for you back in the nineties. Look, it's like some players have a head for the game and can do the job 
and a lot of them can't. And there's no rhyme or reason for it. There's no like hard and fast rules. It's like listening to Jack Flaherty talk about how Wade Boggs was a horrible player to get hitting advice from back when he was a player because he was just so good. It didn't make sense to him that you were bad at it. <laughs> some players, some players are like John Elway where it's like great hall of fame player apparently can't evaluate talent for shit yeah. versus Derek Jeter who everyone was like, why would he want to buy the Marlins? And now the Marlins are such a well-run organization that they're actually kind of competing significantly faster than anybody thought they realistically would after trading away every valuable asset they had. So again, don't be nice to people that you like just because you like them when it comes to the future of your entire fucking organization. Don't judge a book by your cover. Sorry, I just got distracted. Clint Frazier, uh, left fielder for the Yankees, always makes these wild diving catches, made another diving catch, and shattered his sunglasses in the process, and it was really funny. He makes the most unnecessary dives I've ever seen in my entire life. It's so much fun. And I I will take this position now that diving because you got a bad jump or a bad read is not impressive because all you're doing is... It's the same. It's the Derek Jeter conversation all over again. Just because he made the play look really hard when it should be within a normal shortstop range doesn't mean it was a good play. Mm-hmm. Just because he ran three feet and he made it look like he ran 10 doesn't all of a sudden make that play more valuable. That's Clint Frazier. While I agree with you 100,000%, the fact of the matter is, it makes baseball more, baseball more fun to watch, so I'm all for it. And you know what? Fair enough. That is, a, that is a fair enough point. How many people do you think watched baseball and watched the Yankees solely because Derek Jeter was a guy that played there? Um, Everybody. Everyone. Yep. <laughs> all right. Um, any final thoughts on the AFC West? I was about to ask you that. I don't, I don't really think so. I, uh, Denver... As good as this draft probably is for Denver, it's just going to be so impossible to tell where they really are until they get their quarterback situation figured out. And I don't know when on earth that would happen. And it's almost tough to root for a good draft from Denver because it means that they're going to not finish bad enough to get a good quarterback and have to bank on trading capital to move up in the draft uh, or free agent acquisitions, which can always be dicey because usually the only quarterbacks actually make it to free agency are gambles. Your guys who are young mm-hmm. enough that might still have some years left post injury, like Cam Newton, or your guys who are Peyton Manning. Peyton last Manning, guy to go there. Yeah, yeah truly. Um, or it's your guys who just keep bouncing around the league, like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, so it, it, it's a crapshoot. And could Denver assemble a so incredibly well put together team that their quarterback doesn't matter, like Peyton Manning's last season? Um, yeah, I, I mean, in theory, absolutely. It's the harder way of doing it, though, which is why that's mm-hmm. just a less realistic option. Um, but we'll see. All, all in all, the Chargers look like they're positioned really well. It'll be fun to see how they do, especially against the other um, wildcard competing teams, especially in the AFC North. Um, and we'll see what comes out of the rest of the division and kind of as Amen. they try to figure the shit out against the, the, the Chiefs. That's the big dog. That's a tough spot. But uh, we'll see. We will see.
All right, then let's take it to the NFC West. And that means that we're starting with the Seattle Seahawks, who had three, count them, three draft picks in the entire draft. Uh, <laughs> they drafted uh, wide receiver Dwayne Eskridge, cornerback Trey Brown, and offensive tackle Stone Forsyth. And uh, that's it. That's the draft. Yeah. He gave away boy. a lot. They did. And I'll be honest, I like, it's so hard to really talk about a draft class with a second, fourth, and sixth round pick. And that's it because none of these guys are major impact players. Like Dwayne Eskridge is like a, a future replacement for uh, Tyler Lockett, despite Tyler Lockett still being in like the prime of his career. Um, I don't really get that one too much. That's definitely not a position of need for the Seahawks, like not even close. Um, Trey Brown fits a need for the Seahawks. Probably not a guy who's going to come in and start for them. Probably going to be a a fair depth piece. Don't know much about him, but I don't watch a whole ton of Oklahoma football. I can say big 12 defenses aren't all that great. So a fourth round pick, uh, cornerback out of a big 12 school i don't know it's i don't want to scout the helmet i want to scout the players i didn't scout this player i don't have much to say but i have to say something because there's only three of them that being said i think my favorite pick here which again not saying too much uh stone forsyth you know sixth round offensive lineman florida guy who honestly his pass protection is is really really great his run blocking is it's it can be considered run blocking, um, which is a weird pick for them, seeing as they always seem to be the team that wants to run the ball and, and commit to the run game. Granted, they are very quickly moving away from that once they kind of realized and took note that, hey, we have Russell Wilson at quarterback. We have these guys at wide receiver who are both fucking amazing. Let's probably just throw the ball a ton. Um, so I think he'll be a day one starter for them. Um, possibly opposite Dwayne Brown. I don't know who their right tackle is right now, so that could be talking out my ass. But at the end of the day, I can't really say the Seahawks did much to improve as a team because while they are a good team and and they were clearly the best team in that division last year, they only got three players. So you can't argue they got a bunch of depth out of it because they really didn't. they don't really have any impact starters. Brandon shell is their right tackle on the uh, depth chart right now. I bet stone Forsyth could slide in there and be that kind of guy. I think it's much more likely that he's going to be a replacement for Dwayne Brown in the future because Dwayne Brown is, let's see, 37, 35. Wow. He's not as old as I thought he was. So maybe he's got a couple of years, but regardless, I don't think this moves the needle for Seattle at all because I don't think it could if they tried. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's kind of what Seattle is going for in regards to how they're evaluating their capital. You know, they are willing their their window exists as long as Russell Wilson exists wearing that goofy helmet and they're willing to trade future assets for present assets by moving draft picks to acquire talent, NFL proven talent like Jamal Adams and others. Um, Andre Diggs was a great trade for them. They got good, but continue. 
point being, they, they don't have draft picks. They went 12 and four this season. Do they need more people? Honestly, probably. <laughs> like, definitely. But I'm they, assuming they that they got some holes in this team. So, um, mm-hmm. but I would assume that the conversation in the NFL front or in the team front office is something to the effect of we scraped by and got 12 wins. Yeah. If, if the coaching is consistent, if Russell Wilson can be consistent and we can try to shore up positions where we can with these three fucking picks um, and get more value out of the depth pieces that we have today with better coaching, blah, 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 blah. We can do it. And if you believe that argument or not, I'm, I would assume that's where they're at because that's what we're seeing. Again, whether you believe it or not, it's a different question. Um but I would imagine that's kind of what the what the in-office rationale is for how they're positioned, which also makes it interesting if there's any traction to the Russell Wilson leave stories that we heard earlier in the offseason. So far, nothing's happened, um, mm-hmm. though it would be weird if that did happen pre-draft and we're barely in the, a post-draft society, so who's to say? Um, but Post-draft society. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, th- th- you're right. This it's impossible unless your first three picks were like the first three picks of the draft mm-hmm. <laughs> for your three draft picks to like massively impact your organization. Right. And at the end of the day, I still think they're kind of the one B in this division. This is by all means, I'll, I'll say it now. This, this has to be the best division in football right now, just top to bottom with, you know, them, the 49ers, the Rams and the Cardinals. Obviously, it all changes as soon as the season starts. It always does. Um, but, man, on paper, this is going to be a wild, wild division. So, <sighs> should be fun. And they still yeah. got Russell Wilson, so it'll be exciting. All right, then let's take it to the Los Angeles Rams. Um, they drafted several more players than the Seahawks did. Um they took wide receiver Tutu Atwell, linebacker Ernest Jones, defensive tackle Bobby Brown the third. Bobby Brown Central- buttons on my sleeve. Um, Robert Rochelle doesn't have a um, positional designation on defensive this list for back. me. Defensive back. Okay, um, that's odd. Anyway, six two one ninety five, kind of that that a big corner, small small safety. Okay, fair enough. Um. Wide receiver Jacob Harris, defensive end Ernest Brown, the fourth running back Jake Funk, wide receiver Ben Scouronic, and off outside linebacker Chris Garrett. Um, Corbin, tell me what you think about the Los Angeles Rams. Before we get any farther, I, l- I like Cam Akers. I think he's got a lot of promise. I know they've got Malcolm Brown there too. Like they have a lot of depth at running back. I need Jake Funk to be a player for them this year. I need him to get some serious reps because I need those memes to exist. I need the funk to be brought every time the Rams take the field. I need oh, that funk in my life. We got the funk. Give up the funk. Oh, we need the funk. Gotta Play have that, that funky funk. music white bar. Who is Jake Funk White? You think a man named Jake Funk is of any other ethnicity other than white bread caucasian i actually have no idea really yeah he is he's very much okay. so is but wow, they took a white running back named funk that's hilarious 
out of Maryland. I really hope I'll you tell play you space. what we pl- we played Maryland. He's not that great, but hey, <laughs> he had some he had some big plays. So hopefully he gets those in the NFL. All right, um, man. I don't care for this draft. I mean, <laughs> Tutu Atwell is a fucking burner, but at the end of the day, it's like I, I don't. I think he's going to be like the Andy Isabella of this draft class, just the wide receiver that gets drafted before a lot of other really, really good wide receivers, but because he runs very, very quickly. Him and Anthony Swartz, I think he got overdrafted, and I don't think he's going to do much of anything. Um, but then again, they got Matt Stafford now, so he can make that kind of thing happen. Um, I just think Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, I think they're going to get the vast priority there. And Tutu is just going to be whatever, but whatever. I don't care. Um, there's really nobody else here that that moves the needle for me. I don't know any of these other players all that well. Ernest Jones, South Carolina, didn't watch a ton of him. You know, good athleticism, nothing's fantastic. Bobby Brown's defensive tackle, you know, out of Texas A&M, that's not really going to move the needle much for me. They filled out their depth. They, you know. God, the Rams are just such a wild team that they need all of these players to kind of play a role because they force themselves to be so top heavy with the kind of contracts they gave out. They don't really have the money to build up, you know, expensive depth players or, you know, you know, players that are anything other than top dollar or kind of bargain bin throughout their starting lineup. So, We'll see how it goes. You know, their their offense is going to be pumping. You know, they've still got their man, Sean McVay. They've got a – oh, man, I forgot about Van Jefferson, too, as a wide receiver, and they have Deshaun Jackson there now. So that fucking offense is going to be pumping. They've got Tyler Higby there. They've got a pretty decent offensive line uh, through and through. Matt Stafford there, Cam make Like, they're going to have a, a booming offense, and, boy, their defense is going to be – hey, how much can Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald do? Because it's going to rely on all that. Um, man, they've given out some pretty bad contracts throughout this roster, but whatever. Let's just move on. I think they're still the number two, one C. I don't know. I don't know how to rank this. Well, it's also this tough. Because this is such a wild, like there's so much change within this division as far as like players and impact players that we know it's going to be one of the best. I just don't know how to, how it's going to fucking. Right. And that's unfold. what I was going to say is like, it, it's also tough to make a fair judgment on this because Matt Stafford is now the quarterback. And mm-hmm. how much does that change things? Obviously the instinct is to say, a lot because it, you know, what we've seen from Jared Goff since 20, his seven, 2017 season, I want to say, mm-hmm. has been a lot of like, oh, okay, interesting choice you made there, buddy. Um, and not a lot of like, hey, wow, look how good this guy is. And um, whereas Matt Stafford's whole career, it's been like, look at a guy who's throwing 5,000 yards every season, um, but also manages to do 4,000 of it in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah. if well, only we could put fair, this guy on a good team. Yeah, I know. 
Um, that's what I'm saying. So if only now's our opportunity to see like, all right, we're going to let you stretch it out. You're going to have a competent offense. You're going to have an offensive minded coach. You're going to have a good head coach, which has been the lions Achilles heel for decades. Mm -hmm. Um, and we're going to give you enough of a defense that you might actually be able to hold on these fucking leads so that you don't need to be doing all this garbage time bullshit in the fourth quarter. So regardless, my, my point in saying all that is it's tough to evaluate the marginal difference in these players that they drafted and how it could affect their situation in the standings when we don't know what the difference between golf and Stafford is yet in respects to how they're going to play in this on this team in this division like we've only ever seen either one of those guys on the teams that drafted them we've never seen them outside of that environment we've never seen them outside of those variables we really can't say how much of it is them how much of that is the team around them that being said i know i was high on jared goff he was my number one pick in that draft man I can't even say one is better than the other at this point because they've both been pretty bad, uh, him and Carson Wentz. But I just did that entire time you were talking about golf, you know, getting exchanged for Stafford. I, I just can't help but think that the man did not know what cardinal direction the sun rose in every morning. And it's been downhill for him in his entire career since then. And oh my goodness, just Matt Stafford come in and just take this team to the promised land just so we can kind of settle this argument. The fact that he didn't know it was every morning. Someone said to him, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west every day. And he was like, oh, every day. Every, every, every day? Every day. I love Hard Knocks. It's one of my favorite parts of the summer, just watching it. Like that behind the, scene, behind the scenes, you know, seeing that front office in like peak. Like, listen, it, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, like I... Like, that's my dream is to work in a player department for an NFL team one day. Seeing how that Rams front office worked and Jeff Fisher just turning into like a, a folk hero for me, just how genuine that man was. I fucking to this day, him after being fired, just standing and saying goodbye to the buses as they go off and, and, and leave the facility holding that little fucking puppy in his hand. Like, God, how can you not get romantic about off-season football oh but mm. yeah hard knocks that was a great moment for that season because that's how that fucking first episode opened like that was in the like the first scene like that's how we were introduced to jared goff now if jared goff had sat there and Wild talked about how statement. birds aren't real i think we all would have been on board right oh yeah yeah you know hey, they got to replace the batteries the every now and then yeah way to go jared goff yeah 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 um, we ate all the mermaids back in the 1600s. I'm on board, but like, dude, like that, like not knowing that the sun rises in the east and sets in the west every day is one of the few instances in which you can literally say, "Do you live under a rock?" Because it happens every day. Like, and it's so a bedroom in America is going to, depending on which direction you face, is going to fucking suck. If you have a bedroom that faces east, your mornings in the summer are awful. And I know, because that was my childhood. <laughs> Me. That's how I woke yeah. up every morning. Awful. Awful. Mm -hmm. I, I, I will I, say, it is really nice when you sleep in, because it wakes you the fuck up, and it's like, hey, dipshit, it's me, the sun. Get the fuck out the door. Get out of bed. You have <laughs> a responsibility nice. today. Yeah. 
Um, but Ooh. yeah, man, golf. Uh, and it's like if you can't trust the man to eventually realize that the sun's doing the same thing every day, how do you expect him to understand what a cornerback is doing on every play? <laughs> but I digress. Yep. Oh boy. But yeah, right. the Rams. This doesn't move the needle much, but they have other bigger. Like this is not how they were building their team. That's not how they've ever built their team. Right. Exactly. Sorry. Right. Let's take this over then to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, they drafted linebacker Taven Collins, wide receiver Rondale Moore. Rondale? Who knows? Rondale Moore. Cornerback Marco Wilson. Defensive end Victor Dimakeji. Dimakeji? I, I need to read it because I don't know. I'm going to say Dimakeji. Uh, cornerback um, Tay Gowan. Safety James Wiggins. And corner. Sorry. Fuck. Safe, center. Jesus. Michal Manette. Michael Manette. Jesus Christ, dude. No. Well, to to be fair, that is how you spell Michal. So I'm just I'm just so saying. Spell Michael. There's no E. Yeah, it's M I C H A L. Michael has an E in it. Does it? Yeah, Michael has an E after the A. Oh wow. That is the Israeli it? name Michal. Okay. All right. Sorry. Uh, he went to Penn State, so I've I can't say I've seen it written more than I've seen it heard it spoken. Seen it uh, heard. So he's seen it heard. Um, but yeah, that's just I just happen to know Michael Mennett offhand. Um nice guy. Very nice guy. Can't say that for all of the Penn State players taken in this draft, but you know. Dimu Keiji is the correct pronunciation, by the way. I looked it up. Okay. I was close. I think you were on. I think that's what you said. It does anyway, not matter. So let's yeah. just move on. Um, I like the Zaven Collins pick. Uh, he is a monster of a player. Like he is the kind of guy where if you put on some Tulsa film, trying to watch some Zaven Collins, um, usually the struggle is, all right, what number is he? Where is he on this play? Like, especially linebackers where they line up all over the place. It's like, all right, I got to pause, spend like 20 seconds, like searching all over the field. Like, all right, where's number 16? Um, or where's the player he happened to be taken at 16? Uh, you see Zaven Collins because he looks like he ate whatever other player would be lined up next to him. He is just so huge. Granted, Tulsa, you know, they are not going to have the same kind of players that you would find at Alabama, but he's the kind of guy who would be big at Alabama. Um, inside linebacker, 6'4, 260 pounds. That is just a fucking freak. Ran a 4.67, 35-inch vertical at that size, 4.36 shuttle. So crazy athlete is going to be the kind of guy that can come in and, and hit, get 100 tackles. Um, so I really like that fit. You know, took a, took a linebacker um, early on last year, took a linebacker here. So that defensive front seven is set. I know I said Quinn Miners was my – my guy's guy, the guy I wanted to put my stamp on. That is a recent addition to my list. Rondale Moore has been my guy since his first game in college as a true freshman at Purdue. Um, you watch him play and you are just shocked by the kinds of things he does. Just the kind of the kind of playmaking ability that he has, what he was able to do against Ohio State, what he was able to do that rookie year when, you know, when he was healthy and was just coming into uh, to college. Um, just an absolute shock, just how good he was. And I absolutely love him. 
Um, I really, really, really am rooting for him. And I think he's going to do some pretty great things. Not my favorite place for him to go because of how deep that position group is in Arizona. Um, But player wise, I love it. Uh, Marco Wilson. Uh, I don't know if you remember us talking about it. I think we talked about it on the podcast where um, a Florida player threw a shoe 20 yards down the field and it cost his team the game. I know John Boy did a breakdown on it. It's a big storyline because of how fucking ridiculous it was. Literally just took an opponent opponent's shoe that came off during, you know, the play, ripped it off him and then just threw it. 20 yards down the field unsportsmanlike conduct penalty kept the ball moving cost Florida the game. Hey, that was, that was Mark, Marco Wilson. Um, that being said, I think he's a guy who could come in and start and play. And I, I think, you know, he's a guy who could be a depth piece, especially losing Patrick Peterson. So all for it rest of this class, you know, Michael Mennett, I know, and I know he could be a, a depth offensive line piece for a couple of years, kind of that AQ Shipley mold. I know, you know, he came out of Penn State, uh, went to Pittsburgh, played in Arizona for a long time, was kind of a staple there for so many years, just retired, actually. Great guy. Um, I think Michael Menick can fill that void in the NFL of kind of a short, stocky center from Penn State playing out in Arizona. So overall, I really do like this draft class. Those first two picks do a lot for me. Um and I think it just fits him well. I don't think it's the best class in this division, but I do think it's one that moves the needle and is moving the Cardinals in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to be the biggest thing for them. It's still going to be the Kyler yeah, Murray show. Kingsbury's dick. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, k- kind of, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be the offense. This It's going to be the offense show. It's going to be the Kyler Murray show. It's going to be the uh new Hopkins show it it they they're adding really great depth and really important pieces all over the place in this draft which is great to see um from a development standpoint like they're really they're really rounding out the team very nicely here which um is going to be important in a tough division because you're going to lose games more on the margin than anywhere else um it's if, if, like, if you're the Chiefs against a lot of what you had in the division the past couple of seasons, you can really get by on offense and just let the rest of that shit go because the struggles of your opponents are going to be enough that you don't have to capitalize in every phase in order to eventually still kind of come out on top by the sheer magnitude of the difference in the power of your offense. You know, the Raiders offense is not something to be feared to such a degree that you have to worry about how well your defense is set up and how much you can just get by based on depth pieces and good coaching. Um, That's not going to be the case in the NFC West. It's too competitive of a division for that to really be the case. So to see the Cardinals really doing great job at working on depth under also probably, I would guess, operating under the assumption that, hey, we have a new head coach. Um, we got a whole new coaching staff and we're really building this shit around Kyler Murray and how to get the most out of our offense. And we're hoping to build by, by that phase of it, almost like the, like you can look at it like, a, like an off season acquisition for player personnel, but for the coaching staff to try to get more just efficiency and proficiency out of your players, then you can spend some of your capital on the defense. So um, really just a well-rounded draft from them. Yeah. Agreed. All right. We got one team left, and it is a big one. It is a big one. 
We are talking about the San Francisco 49ers. They took with the third overall pick quarterback, Trey Lance, followed by offensive guard, Aaron Banks, running back, Trey Sermon, cornerback, Ambry Thomas, offensive tackle, Jalen Moore, cornerback, Dio Modor, Lenoir. Love that name. It's pronounced like Commodore, but Diamador. Diamador. Okay. Diamador. Talanoa Hufanga. 80 grade name. It absolutely is. Uh, sorry, safety, Talanoa Hufanga, and running back Elijah Mitchell. Um, yes. It, there was a lot of smoke and mirrors around yes, it was. who the Francis San Francisco 49ers are going to take third overall. A lot of Mac Jones talk that I can't imagine anyone actually really took all that seriously. Um, hey, some people did. Some people I got very myself in saying from the start, there was no fucking way that's happening. You're all fucking nutty if you believe that. I'm yes. happy I got on the right side of that one because fuck. But we yeah. talked too much shit for that to actually have happened. Yes, correct. We, <laughs> we talked, will we that one into shit. existence. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then we went with Trey Lance, which uh, is exciting shit. So Corwin, tell me about this class. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, Trey Lance was not the guy I either predicted or would have taken there, but that's totally fine. Trey Lance has such an unbelievably high level of potential you know he you know can be an mvp season cam newton he is just so powerful with his legs running the ball he has such a strong arm you know his big thing as a as a player as a quarterback was his cautiousness with not making mistakes you know not pushing things in tight windows that you know were risky throws was you know taking easier reads moving down checking down and that's probably the biggest thing for him to learn coming into the league especially coming from an fcs school but kyle shanahan came out and was straight up just said hey trey lance was the smartest quarterback we interviewed throughout the entire draft process this year that was a big thing for us they love his potential and it just happens to be an environment where it does not get better than this both with the protection he'll have the weapons he'll have around him and the coach leading him. Kyle Shanahan is the best coach in the NFL right now. I wholeheartedly believe that right up there with Bill Belichick. I just cannot imagine a better situation for a quarterback to go into. So when you have a guy like this, think of like a, a Josh Allen type uh, rawness and potential coming into the league with these weapons, this protection, these coaches, this situation, this defense protecting him. He has all the room in the world to flourish. He has all the all the key pieces he needs to do well in the league. So I'm fully expecting a fantastic season from him and a fantastic career. If this draft was only Trey Lance, I would say it's a huge win for San Francisco because they didn't have a ton of holes. They were already a team that with a quarterback, with that coaching, with everything they have, could get back to that Super Bowl and could do it fairly easily in that NFC. And I think now this is just one of those teams that's going to be pushing their you know, competitive window out for another five years. And it's just basically going to be who's going to stop the 49ers because it's honestly theirs to lose in the division. It's, you know, they are one of the front runners and will be for the next five years at the very least in the entire NFC. It's all the, potential in the world for this entire team uh love this draft class so i like the trey lance pick aaron banks getting more protection along that line getting a you know a guard uh for them to come in and, and grab 
um, you know, that's great for them, uh, especially with the the holes that they need filled along this offensive line. Trey Sermon is not one of those top three backs that, you know, we talked about. I've mentioned it multiple times, how this was a three-headed uh, monster at running back and everything else after that was just kind of a, a big fall off. That being said, Trey Sermon was the clear number four and his vision in a Kyle Shanahan offense and his ability to just burst through some holes is going to be electric. Uh, I know there's a lot of running backs there and, and Kyle Shanahan has always used multiple running backs. Get on board the Trey Sermon uh, train because I think he's just going to have a tremendous, tremendous amount of opportunity there. And I think he's going to uh, really exceed, exceed expectations. So love Trey Sermon. Ambry Thomas is a guy who, you know, taking 102nd overall, third round is still a guy that could come in and, and be a, a role player, um, you know, a, a, a guy who can come in from Michigan and play day one and, and you know, play some snaps, fill a role for them. And uh, Diamador Lenore has really no right as a fifth rounder to come in and be as good as some of the clips I've seen in their rookie minicamp where he is just playing uberly physical, locking up receivers, um, reading through his kind of draft profile and his scouting reports from guys who know him better. A uh, tight-hipped guy who was a top prospect, top um, uh, top overall player when he came out of high school um, as an athlete, went to Oregon. I think he's going to be a guy who, you know, knowing Kyle Shanahan, knowing the defense uh, that they have there and the defensive coaches they have there is a guy that could surprise people. And I'm basing that off of like a handful of clips. So I could be totally fucking wrong, but man, it looks incredibly promising from him. So great draft all around uh one of the better ones around but that's kind of the mo for the 49ers so i think they're in the driver's seat in the division um even with a, a rookie quarterback just because of everything else they've been able to do they do still have jimmy garoppolo there i almost called him jimmy graham but uh because they got kyle shanahan because they have those defensive pieces driver's seat uh It makes you wonder what this offense would look like with a guy who's not Jimmy Garoppolo because we've only seen the Jimmy Garoppolo version of this Kyle Shanahan-led team, and it has been a good offense, but with its limitations. And so to get a full scope of just what it could be with the rookie, it, it can't be worse, and I mean that in a good way. It really can't be worse. There, are, I think there's a floor there that is setting Trey Lance up very nicely Mm -hmm. and where he will either be safe Jimmy Garoppolo who will make like 16 pass attempts a game um, Mm -hmm. or he'll show a proficiency and have the latitude to make errors and get the chance to throw 25 to 30 pass attempts per game and be the difference maker that Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't consistently been so much as he's been a limitation don't you know limit to exposure of risk and make sure i don't do anything too catastrophic towards the team while also moving us downfield um again jimmy grapple hasn't been bad he just hasn't been flavorful and exciting um which to get a scope of what that could look like in an offense that's run as the 49ers offense is um that could be huge so this uh, this is a this is a big needle mover for for the draft. It's tough to say how by how much because of how tight this division is, mm-hmm. but 
it, th- this this is a big difference maker for this for this team. Obviously, they took it the, the number three overall pick. It better be. And really, they're going to go as high as you know Trey Lance can get them. You know, they're not relying on him to take him anywhere. It's really just, hey, can you keep up with where the rest of the team is going to take you? So, for his rookie year, you know, with how much he's probably going to play. I think he's going to play a little more than half the season. I'm sure they'll give Jimmy like the first four or so games. I don't know when their bye week is, but I would imagine after the bye week um, is my prediction for for when he would come in and be a, a starting quarterback for them moving forward. But the idea that we're still in the thick of this Aaron Rodgers mess and – boy, wouldn't it be nice if you had to trade Aaron Rodgers to get back the third overall pick? That'd be pretty cool. That's a pretty great quarterback. Hey, Jordan Love has not really, by everything we've heard from reporters and and people watching the team, Jordan Love hasn't really done anything to impress the team enough to really commit to him. Hey, Jordan Love's kind of the guy to bring in. He's got some tremendous, you know, value. He's a guy that could you could go from far to Rogers to just another franchise cornerstone uh, with Trey Lance. You're already going to lose Aaron Rodgers. Might as well make that trade. And boy, could you imagine the 40 fucking Niners, arguably the best team in the NFC with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback? Are you kidding me? No. Yeah, no, that would be, you know, the chiefs with Pat Mahomes level of completeness and just unstoppable. And, uh, I don't, it's like an unstoppable force meets an unmovable object. Just that would be the, the single greatest Super Bowl of all time. Ooh, I love it. Send it uh, also, down your spine. Yes, it does. Uh, the 49ers have a bye week, week six. So I think week seven we'll have Trey Lance starting in the NFL. Okay. Okay. Against the Colts, too. That's a pretty good. Oh. Week eight against the Bears, Trey Lance, Justin Fields. Ooh, yeah. Give me some of that oh, sugar. Week three, they play the Packers. Make that trade, guys. Make that trade. Make it. Make the trade. <laughs> sure thing, buddy. <laughs> so if you had to if you have to rank these uh these NFC West teams in a post draft society, uh how do you shake them out? Um at this point because we haven't seen Stafford on the Rams it's only projection it's it's going to be tough I think I'd have him 49ers Seahawks Rams and then uh, Cardinals um, I think those first three could be in pretty much any order you want and it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest I think there's a really solid chance the Rams end up finishing number one in the division next year uh i think there's an outside shot the cardinals can come out of nowhere and do everything with uh or lead everything with how good that defense could be if everything clicks who knows it's it's a wild wild division that any order you give wouldn't be surprising i was gonna say that that was gonna be my answer i you literally could throw any combination of those names in front of me and i would believe literally any of them I'm very, very excited for football. And it happens every year. It's, you know, baseball's already started by the time the draft comes around. Hockey's finishing up. Never really care about basketball. 
but boy, as soon as the draft happens and we see all this, it's just like football, football, football. Well, you got a, a whole mess of baseball games still left to go. Um, the Rangers got eliminated from playoff contention, so it doesn't really matter what happens in hockey anymore. And the Knicks just beat the Celtics today to take over the four seed, which means that we'll be hosting Atlanta next Saturday. And let me tell you, folks, Josh is all in on playoff basketball this season after fo- actually mostly following the Knicks for like most of the season um, when I could, when I had the time. So there's exciting stuff happening. Yes, sir. Hey, Penns play the Islanders in game one of their playoff set tonight. So I'm all for it. Islanders already won. That can't what? happen. What are you talking about? That was tonight. No, Kyle Palmieri. Oh, if they play the Islanders, because Kyle Palmieri just hit a uh, OT winner. Oh, what the fuck? That was today. It yeah, happened. It happened. What? Fuck. <laughs> When did this game start? I got no notification. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, I got the notification while we were while we were recording that Kyle Palmieri hit the the OT winner for the Islanders. So, fuck. (laughs) All right, that's the show. (laughs) Sorry, buddy. God damn it. I've like I whatever. It's fine. I'm just really fucking annoyed. I so I'd so whatever. whatever I know. Dude. I know. It's okay. Um <laughs> sorry, buddy. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'll yeah. There's I always find the start time. I have no idea where it is or what it was. Well, let's hope you figure out where it is by the time the next game starts. Clearly, clearly the pens need you if they have any hope of winning their like 9,000th Stanley Cup title. Um, but any, you have no right to be sassy. Your team's very good. Um, and in the playoffs, and the Rangers are not. So anyway, anyway uh, if you'd like to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at JuicingPod. We do not post from there very often, so if you'd like to follow Corwin on Twitter, you can do so at Corwin Heller. If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, you can do so at Joshua D. Tracy. Um, if you'd like to send us emails, you can do so at JuicingTheNumbers at gmail.com. And um, until Thursday, y'all have a good one. Bye.